Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Path 11 podcast with your hosts, Mike and April. Today, we're interviewing Luis Monero, who graduated with honors in chemistry from Florida International University. He began studying and developing his abilities in paranormal phenomena in his early teens. After becoming a volunteer in conscientology in 1995 in Miami, Florida, he began giving classes on out-of-body experiences, paranormal phenomena, and spiritual growth in 1996, including at the college level from 1997 to 2002. He has been featured in a number of television and radio programs around the world as well and has been the subject of interviews by magazines, newspapers, and periodicals of global distribution. He has also been invited to speak at several international congresses. As a researcher, he has published several papers and has developed research lines in the sciences of projectology and conscientology, Several of his works have been published in the Scientific Journal of Conscientology. His research projects have led to the development of courses on assistance, universalism, experience, intuition, and evolutionary intelligence. He was the director of the Florida Center from 1999 to 2001 and has been the executive director of the IAC California Center since 2003. So Luis is um, the director of the International Academy of Consciousness, and that's right, right? You're um, you are the director, not not the assistant director, correct? That's correct. I'm I'm uh, I'm the director and the president actually of the institution. Okay, great. So we'd like to know just a little bit about you know who you are and your background and what actually brought you to IAC. Uh, yes, of course. Initially, our, you know, my background, my education is in, uh, in chemistry. I am a chemist. I uh, graduated, you know, um, already a couple of decades ago. And uh, the part of the reason that brings me to out-of-party experiences is because I started having out-of-party experiences since I was 12, uh, spontaneously, involuntarily. And then when I was in college, at the time that I was in college, some of my friends now from IAC, they uh, had just arrived in Miami, in Florida, and it it became very natural for me to start to become interested in the out-of-party experience. I had already read quite quite a number of books, but I was impressed by the amount of information that they had already been able to to gather, to amass, to pull. And um, after I studied for a little bit, also it became very natural for me to start giving classes and to start trying to offer this information as well to other people so that they could develop their own, uh, their own skills. Can you just tell us the, the history of um, IAC? Well, IAC is uh, the International Academy of Consciousness. It's an institution that uh, basically is composed of several researchers, uh, over a dozen researchers. And we try to understand as much as we can, you know, especially the phenomena of the out-of-party experience, but also other types of phenomena uh, dealing with vital energies and consciousness evolution. So, uh, and we are we give classes all over the world. We have research centers and educational centers all over the world, uh, Europe, South America, here in North America, of course, but also even Australia and, and, and Asia. We go uh, from time to time and we offer this, these classes. And our headquarters are actually in Portugal, where we have like a, sort of like a university campus with uh, labs and uh, a lot of different administrative buildings. And uh, much of the information many times that we describe or that we present in our in our classes and our presentations everywhere come from these uh, research labs where uh, a lot of the 
action, I guess, especially in terms of research goes on. In, uh, here in the U.S., we give classes in, in many, many cities. Uh, I am here in California, in Los Angeles, but also we give classes in San Francisco, in Denver, in Arizona, in Boston, in New York, in, in Miami, in the East Coast, as well in Gainesville. Uh, so every time we see the, the demand, I guess, uh, that there is for people to try to understand better this phenomena, even to understand better their own experiences. And um, we try as much as we can to explain it and to help them along, you know, in their, in their development. And is your approach in the explanation more from the science background? Is your team based primarily of scientists who are teaching these workshops? Primarily, yes, yes. Uh, like I was mentioning, I am a, I'm a, I'm a chemist. Certainly, we have uh, done, you know, sort of like our homework. We have tried to collect a lot of uh, information from different uh, philosophies and schools of thoughts that have uh, some of them that existed, you know, throughout the uh, throughout the centuries and throughout cultures. But at the same time, you know, we try to take more the, I would say the more rational approach, the more scientific approach, yes, without being necessarily reductionist and without necessarily, you know, limiting ourselves only to the conventional materialistic paradigm, so to speak. And um, I, I, don't, I don't think you said it, but uh, about what year was IAC started? IAC itself actually started in the year 2000 okay. uh, in Portugal, but many of us, the many of the researchers and instructors, the people that are still around, we were actually already giving classes under a different name uh, since the mid-90s. Okay. Yeah, I, I remember, uh, it was probably four or five years ago, I did do a, a bit of research on IAC, and I... I I was uh, actually conversing with one of the contacts from uh, your New York office, and uh, right, uh, yeah, it just looked very interesting. And y you guys have like a wealth of knowledge um, uh, all over the internet uh, from your different sites, and uh, or I'm um, sorry, from your different locations uh, posted on online. And uh, yeah, we just, unfortunately, we just were never never able to sync our schedules to meet up in, in New York City. But uh, I'm glad you know we have you on the phone now uh, to talk about it because it's it's pretty impressive the uh, you know the scale and the scope of you know your work and um, yeah, it's just very impressive. Yeah, and you know, I, I think that part of what uh, helps, I would say, even though this might not be the most popular thing, is that uh, um, usually, I guess, in traditional institutions, people work for them and research for them. But in our case, in IAC, we are all 100% uh, volunteers. So to a certain extent, we do this because it's sort of like our passion, our calling, you could say. We, we see the benefits that they come uh, to people when they develop these skills. And then what ends up happening is that a lot of my colleagues and myself as well, we are, you know, very much interested in the, in the development of, you know, of the knowledge, uh, of the skill. Uh, and the reason why we do it again is because of the positive effects. Now, when you you mentioned you started having out of body experiences, these were spontaneous. They were spontaneous. Yes, okay. when I, when I was twelve, I I didn't even know if everybody had it. I didn't have a name for it. Uh, I, I guess I thought I must have 
yeah, I must have thought that they were some type of cool dreams. Uh, and, and actually, the first one was very, very, very simple, uh, but very, very aware, very lucid. I was very, it was very clear to me that I was outside my body. Uh, and then after that, I started having maybe once a year. It really wasn't, uh, wasn't a lot. Um, but it was probably when I was 16 or 17 that I realized that, uh, you know, this wasn't that common and that uh, what I was having was very different from just simply a, a normal dream. But uh, for sure, at the beginning, they were just uh, involuntarily. I would I, I would usually be you know in my in my bedroom or in my house floating about the room, about the house. Sometimes I would see my my dog, uh, walking around in the middle of the night, you know, through the house or sleeping, etc. But the, the feeling of the out of body experience I remember was was interesting, and even when I was fifteen, sixteen, sometimes uh, I would go to bed thinking, I wish I could have that type of cool dream. Uh, but I didn't know how to induce it, of course, at that time. I, I got a quick question about, you, you brought up the dog. Did the dog pick up on your presence being out of body? You know, uh, uh, a couple of times it seemed to me that he was picking up the pres my presence, yes. Uh, he would react towards the area that I was in. Uh, I remember one time also I went to try to pet him and my hand, he was sort of like sleeping against the wall and... Um, and my hand, of course, went through him, and, and that surprised me. Uh, I had already gone through, you know, through walls and things, but that this was sort of like a live being, a live animal. And that, at, that, at that moment, I didn't, I didn't understand, of course, a whole lot. And uh, I tried to pet him, and after a while, he sort of like woke up and started staring in my direction. So naturally... You know, it's difficult to <laughs> to say whether the dog actually perceived me, you know, what's happening inside of his mind. But, uh, you know, uh, by his reaction, it seemed to me that he was, uh, you know, seeing and feeling, you know, me. And, of course, he didn't react uh, surprised because he, he knew me. You know, he was my dog. or He had already been for many years. So probably what he felt was something that was familiar to him. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, I've, I just wanted to bring that up because I've heard other stories about where, you know, the animals have picked up uh, on something in the room that hasn't, you know, that can't be seen, and uh, I, I just find that interesting. All right, so you're a teenager, and you, you you're doing this probably once a year or so, maybe more. Um, how has your experience evolved since, uh, you know? starting out since you were 12 to say now uh, oh yes no now 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 it's completely different well um back then the first thing was uh, uh once i realized that i was having out of body experiences and i got my first book on out of body experiences i realized you know what it was that there were techniques my first uh, the first person that i read i'm sure that uh some some of you and some of the people listening you know will will, will recognize the name was uh lobsang rampa uh, which was this, you know, author uh, who wrote maybe about 30 or 40 books, and especially in the 70s and 80s, I guess they were a little bit more, more popular. And um, he called it astral travel, of course. And, and uh, 
but he already had uh, a few techniques. I remember this book, You and Eternity, that helped quite a, quite a bit, you know, for me to, to understand it. And uh, then after that, obviously, I started reading a few more books, you know, some, some more of the classics like uh, the Monroe books and the, uh, Scott Rogo. And I started to understand a little bit more, you know, how to, how to induce it. And I was probably about uh, 23 when I uh, met my friends at the ISC, and they had obviously a lot more techniques and information. And, and I say that because I remember when I was in maybe around 20, I had, uh, I thought I had a pretty good understanding of what happened outside the body in, in a theoretical framework. And then what I was looking for were techniques. I just simply wanted to, to, to have more techniques. And I remember a book by Scott Rogo that had about eight methods for living the body. And I thought it was, it was incredible. And then when I met my friends, they already had like 40 or 50. And uh, that for me was very, very interesting and very surprising. And, and that obviously helped me to increase not just the, um, the regularity of the out-of-party experiences, but especially the, the type of out-of-party experiences that I was having, you know, going to, to different realms, uh, meeting individuals that I I guess at the beginning couldn't have imagined <laughs> that they were there and uh, also doing activities, even certain types of assistances outside the body, helping others uh, in, a, in, a, in a way also that I wouldn't have imagined or anticipated that it was that it was possible. Now, I think a lot of people will ask, well, how do we know that this is real? And I love how you guys have this great question on your website that says, can we scientifically evaluate whether the out-of-body experience is the result of neurological activity or if it reveals dimensions beyond the physical reality? So, it, you know, a lot of people will have these out-of-body experiences. They can come back. They can kind of talk about it. Um, but how do you guys, how do you bring some of this science in to answer that question or to try to prove that there really are dimensions outside of this physical reality. Yeah, sure. And, and, and actually, your question has several layers. Let me see if I yes. can. <laughs> yes. Let me see if I can go through, through all of them. And if, I, and if I forget one, just tell me. Okay. <laughs> uh, first of all, I guess at the, at the, at the individual level, um, one of the things that we say is uh, you know, when you are in a typical classical out of party experience, you are as, as aware, as clear as you are right now, uh, as, as we are right now, for example, you know, even in, involved in this activity that we know we are not uh, dreaming this, but we know that we are aware and, and awake in this case. Um, so when you are outside the body, you find yourself or you can find yourself with the same level of awareness that you have right now and the same level of clarity, of sharpness, of everything, really. And therefore, you also don't confuse that state, you know, with a dream, just like right now you don't confuse it with a dream. But um, beyond that, you know, the, the idea of proof is, is a fair question. And at the individual level, I remember when I was uh, maybe about 17 or 18 that I wanted, even though I had already the several out-of-body experiences with a very good level of awareness, I remember I wanted to try them, you know, to try to prove it, to verify it. Somehow, I guess I was still in disbelief to a certain extent. And I remember something that I used to do was to uh, leave my body and try to go maybe three or four blocks away from my apartment 
segment, which is something very simple, by the way, and anybody can do it. This is the reason why I'm, why I'm mentioning it here. So I would go three or four blocks you know, away from my apartment, and I would try to see the cars that were parked over there, and I would try to memorize the license plate of one of the cars. So, uh, and then I would come back, you know, and I would uh, put on a little bit of clothes, and I would walk, you know, a teenager, like around 1 a.m., walk three, the three or the four blocks and go and confirm, you know, that the cars were there and also read the license plate of the car that I had tried to, to memorize. So uh, something very, very simple, really. Um, but then afterwards, uh, you know, me, obviously, maybe also thinking a little bit more scientifically, I tried to make, uh, I remember at that time when I was maybe 19 or so, the statistics of, of what was the possibility or the probability of you guessing the right sequence of, uh, of cars, you know, of their colors in a specific uh, street block and also of guessing a license plate. And I don't remember well the numbers now, but it was like one in seven million uh, possibility. So uh, that was fine for me in terms of saying to somebody else, you know, I guess something that the possibility of hitting it right was it's one in seven million. But uh, obviously in my mind, in my own experience, I knew I hadn't guessed it. I knew I had gone and actually experienced that and, and seen it. Now, uh, that, that at the individual level, of course. And once you, you have done or you have gone through a couple of these, you know, you are fine. You understand very well that you're outside the body and, and probably the idea of proof just uh, drops to a certain extent. Now, um, then there is the, the idea of trying to verify this, you know, more collectively, I guess, for society at large, which presents a, a, a few more problems. Let's put it this way, um, because obviously... When, when people haven't had an experience, it, it becomes definitely problematic. It's like the idea of trying to prove, you know, that last night we had a dream that we were in New York. And even though, you know, every, because, or because everybody has the experience of dreams, they understand what you're talking about. But naturally, we don't have any proof that we were actually in New York in our dream. Because it's such a, it's such a subjective and internal type of a, an experience, of course. But still important to highlight the fact that people will believe that you dreamt because they have already had the experience of dreaming. Even though in a laboratory, rigidly, you cannot prove dreams. You can only measure, you know, the brain activity, so to speak. So uh, it is a little bit more difficult to try to uh, prove something to somebody else that goes beyond the physical reality and the person hasn't had the experience. So we have we certainly try to do our, our part in, in providing uh, conventional data, you know, more scientific data uh, with regards to that. We have certain activities, for example, let me talk here about a couple. One is uh, something, an activity that we call the projective field. And what we do is we um, invite many of our, our students and it's sort of like a class, but also at the same time it's a, it's a research activity. And then they're all lying down in a, in a big ballroom of a hotel room and they're doing techniques to try to leave the body at a, at a specific time. For example, we start at 10 a.m. And then um, in another smaller meeting room in the hotel, you know, maybe on another wing or a little bit far away, we have set up a computer that just simply picks up um, uh, randomly an image and displays it on the screen. And uh, outside of this room, the room is empty, just uh, it only has the computer. And outside of this room, you know, there is an auditor, somebody that who 
is not uh, associated with IAC. Usually it's a journalist or a college professor, somebody with some authority. And they just simply are there to ensure that, uh, you know, nobody went into the room and they actually sit outside the room, you know, the entire time that the other people in the ballroom are doing their experiment. And the people in the ballroom, they try to leave their body. They try to go, you know, into this other little room and see the image and then come back. And then they write a report, you know, a written report that is taken to the auditor who signs all the reports, sort of like uh, testifying that he saw all the reports before opening the door. So this is what it's called, you know, a double blind experiment. And, you know, I'm explaining here part of the protocol, I guess. And uh, then he opens the door and then they go in, both the auditor and somebody from IAC, and they verify the image and they take a picture and they sign that, uh, you know, that they took the picture and ABCD. So um, with this type of an experiment, we have already had several hits, uh, uh, success with it. Some of the results are actually on our Journal of Conscientiology, uh, the Journal of Consciousness Science. And uh, that, that would be one way of trying to provide here, you know, more conventional, uh, conventional data. The, the other way also, or another experiment that nowadays we, we are getting a little bit more involved in, is in trying to measure the vital energies which are um, what, what you try to develop in order to have out-of-body experiences, we, try, we have tried to measure them in uh, fMRIs, in functional MRIs. So probably many individuals are familiar with the MRIs uh, for medical use. And there is also, besides the regular MRI, the functional MRI. And what we do is we put people inside of the functional MRI to do different energetic techniques. And what is interesting also, we, we also have the images. I don't know if they might be on the internet or on our website. Probably by this time, there, some of them might. Um, and we have um, the images where the functional MRI is perceiving not only activity inside the physical body, which is to be expected, even though the activity is a little bit unusual, but also it starts to perceive activity outside of the physical body, something that, of course, in theory, it's not possible. And even uh, some of our friends, the technicians and the doctors that have been there with us as we have been doing these uh, experiments, their reaction is, you broke my machine. This cannot be. Now you need a physicist <laughs> here, you know, and not a doctor, because I don't understand how this is even possible, you know. Wow. Uh, so also, you know, another effort, I guess, to try to provide more conventional data uh, with regards to all of these paranormal phenomena. So these experiments, can you talk more about the results and uh, like the one with the, uh, the auditor and uh, uh, verifying the uh, results? Can you describe how their reaction was? Um, and I'm, I'm assuming you had a pretty good success rate with that. Um, you know, the, 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 the results, they vary. Certainly, we have had several hits. I myself, uh, I can tell you, you know, talking here a little bit about the results. I was uh, usually when we do those types of experiments, I'm organizing and running around and there's always a lot of background organization. But one of these times, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, I had a chance to actually lie down with the participants and for me to try the, the, the experiment. And, and on, on one time I slept very soundly and I even wrote on my form, I am very well rested. Thank you so much. <laughs> so obviously I didn't have any, <laughs> any type of experience. But, uh, but the second time, um, I, because, probably because I was a little bit more rested, um, I 
was able to to hit the the image. I was able to to see it very well, to describe it. And for me, the it was obviously, you know, that that was the image. I actually in the form I wrote, uh, I designed the image that I had seen, which really was a cartoon of a, of a car that had uh, black wheels and like a, a little red car, but it was just a cartoon. It wasn't like a picture of, a, of even a toy car or an actual car, which this already would be three different images altogether. So I just designed it and I described it as a cartoon of a car with this type of, you know, black wheels and blah, 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 blah. And it, this is the only, or, or this is the image. I am, I am sure of it. And that was exactly the case, it, uh, that, that, that was the image. Now, uh, you at the beginning, or the participants at the beginning, they don't know the possibilities of the images. So, and the reason why that is relevant is because, you know, in experiments like, um, let's say, intuition experiments with the center cars, it probably uh, you might have already heard about that, you know, when somebody is trying to transmit a symbol that they're seeing on a car that might be a triangle or three wavy lines or a square, or sometimes they use different types of symbols. Then uh, there are five different symbols, and then the possibility of you guessing or hitting the right target is one in five, so 20%. But in this case, the database is of about uh, 500 images, I believe, four to 500. I have only seen actually the script of the, you know, of the computer that selects the image. But this uh, data bank of images is something that I have never seen and participants have never seen. So the probabilities of guessing that image are, you know, astronomical. And I am actually not the, the researcher involved in designing the experiment. So um, uh, I, I don't remember exactly the, the, the numbers. But, uh, but I know that, that, that they are astronomical because the image, in essence, can be anything. You know, it can be the picture of a bed. can be, uh, like, again, it doesn't necessarily need to be a real picture. It can be a cartoon. It can be a, a TV program. It can be a landscape. It can be space, Saturn, etc. So the, the possibilities are, are, are enormous. And, uh, and yes, we have had already success. Several other people have, have hit it, but at, have hit the right target. But at the same time, you start to understand, and this is one of the big reasons why we do this, you start to understand the difficulties of seeing something uh, outside the body that is physical and specifically that is in a, the screen of a computer. Because when sometimes these other experiments have been done in other, you know, by other researchers and other universities even, you know, sometimes they put an object there, for example, a cup or anything really. And then that object is a real object that has, you know, mass and energy. And by energy, I mean vital energies, chi, prana, has its, own, uh, has its own energy. And then this type of an object outside the body is easier to see. But when we think about what is on a screen, in essence, there is no object there. It's just simply a representation or an image of an object. It's just a, a bunch of light and zeros and ones at the, at the core, I guess, you know, a binary information behind the screen. And um, so this is very hard for the astral body to pick up because there isn't an object with, with its own energy. Um, so we, and we have already gotten, you know, results where, for example, the person, instead of seeing the main image in the, in the screen, because vision doesn't work, 
exactly the way the physical vision works. They are seeing, for example, just a corner of the screen and something very specific that the, uh, that the computer or that the screen has. You know, when we buy, for example, a laptop or a computer, sometimes it has on the corner the specifications of it. You know, Intel iCore i5, for example, a little sticker on the corner. Uh, right, or, right. or, you know, little things that sometimes the laptops have. And sometimes people are able easier to pick up that than instead of picking up, you know, the, the actual image that is on the screen. Because um, the actual image that is on the screen is just a representation, a, a digital representation of, a me, of an image. There isn't actually a lion there or, you know, again, Saturn. But um, the little sticker that says Intel inside, it is a real object with its own, you know, energy, so to speak. So sometimes they have an easier time picking up other details than picking the actual image. And it starts to, you know, it starts to help us to understand how difficult it is for the astral body sometimes to see certain physical things. Even something that I'm sure uh, probably, I don't know if other people might have already spoken about, uh, reading characters, physical characters while you are outside the body is not the easiest thing because it's almost as if the vision while we are outside the body is so detailed that you are not necessarily seeing the contrast between one color and another, and uh, the way we see here physically, you know, that sometimes it's black letter on white paper, and then obviously we are able to read it uh, very well. But you, it's almost as if you are inside the ink that is on the paper, and you're in a very detailed fashion being able to see like the different layers of ink or of paper. And it, it takes a while before you're able sort of like to readjust your vision and, and, and read sort of like part of a character or even a word, so to speak. So it's not, it's not the easiest thing, but certainly it starts to, to show us, you know, how, how vision works outside the body in, along these lines. Yeah, I know. Um, and maybe you, you've had experiences with, uh, you know, some of your participants, too, about having uh, shared experiences uh, going out of body together and having that shared experience because a lot of people we've had on the show already have uh, kind of said, not all of them had said it on the show, but they have said, you know, when we filmed them other times, um, that there's got to be some sort of usually a emotional connection to the right. other person to have that shared experience. Can you talk a little bit about that? Have you uh, run into that a lot too? Yes, 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 yes. Not not a lot. I wouldn't say it's the most common type of experience, but but absolutely, you 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 have them, and it's because of this emotional or personal connection with the with the other person, which, by the way, I, uh, this goes a little bit to what April was asking me a moment before, and it's sort of like the other layer of the question of proof, um, because at the end she was mentioning about you know other dimensions, and then uh, one of the hardest things to to prove, I guess, you know, especially here physically are the other dimensions because you now you don't have you know the computer as a reference or you know the car or nothing you really just go and, and see it and come back and to a certain extent it's a narrative and uh, somebody else can go and see that other dimension and come back and you can try to see similarities between the narrative of course but one of the ways in which this can start to become a little bit less subjective is precisely when you have an experience with somebody else in another dimension. 
And then you both are at the same time sort of like observing the same reality and then you come back and you can compare notes, so to speak. Now, in terms of um, having experiences with other people, yes, you, 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 you have them. I have had uh, several, you know, with colleagues of mine at the IAC, but also even with relatives of mine. Uh, one specifically that I that usually I, I, I tell is with a sister of mine who used to live in Atlanta at that time. And uh, she was starting to take the classes. And uh, I left my body. And because she was starting to take the classes, more than likely, and she was already very motivated to leave her body and doing different techniques. And, and again, as you were saying, Michael, because of our personal and, ener- and emotional connection, she's my sister, so I, I know her very well. Um, when I arrived, you know, at, the, at her house outside, outside my body, she was already fairly aware outside her body, but it, she was more closer to her physical body. And even though she already had some awareness, it was still this semi-awareness, so to speak. And, um, you know, when we, what we observe when people go to bed uh, at night to sleep, they disconnect from their body, but they spend basically the entire night unaware, uh, floating just a few inches above their physical body. In her, in her specific case, she was already a little, bit, a little bit aware. So when I arrived, I just had to exteriorize a little bit of awareness uh, for her to... Uh, exteriorize a little bit of energies to give her a little bit of awareness for her to regain her her consciousness and uh, I told her okay do you want to you want to see what all of this is about and I remember I grabbed her sort of like by by her hand and we went through a, a few wa- the few walls of her of her house and we started flying you know in the direction of downtown Atlanta and we we flew for you know some minutes and I was sort of like uh, trying to convey to her what else do you want to do you know, what else do you want to see? It was interesting at that time because it, this must have been maybe her first uh, or second very lucid out-of-body experience. I'm, I'm not sure. But, um, uh, you know, at that moment I was thinking, okay, we can go to so many places, including other dimensions, of course. Uh, but sometimes, you know, when you're outside the body, you see how your physical conditioning and maybe what is on your mind, you know, um, is what uh, usually pops up, what is in your physical mind. And uh, she, w- she had been concerned for a couple of days because there was this individual, I guess, that went and replaced some car- carpet in a, in a bedroom of her house and the person hadn't done a good job and she was trying to reach them and haven't been able to, to reach them. So she said, look, I want to find that person. And I thought to myself, you know, you can do so many other things that you want to go find now, the person that didn't do a good job with a carpet. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but that's what she wanted to do. And I said, okay, let's go. <laughs> and, and I remember we started going towards a section of Atlanta, and you know, towards a very specific house. But I don't know if it was maybe the, the fact that she had been thinking about, uh, you know, the, a very physical thing that caused her to start to become a little bit more denser outside the body and to start to lose her awareness. And I tried to exteriorize a little bit more energy to try to give her more, more awareness at that moment, but she was already sort of like in a, in a spiral downwards in terms, of, in terms of consciousness. And very, very quickly, she lost the awareness and she went back to her body. So, um, and then later on, I went back to my body. But in the morning, she remembered very well. She remembered, look, it was so easy, you know, and you came in and we went and we flew. So, we both remember very, very well. And she even laughed at the fact that, you know, at that moment, 
she thought of only looking for the guy that had done a, you know, a, a, a bad job on her carpet. So, uh, yes, for sure, you can meet other people outside the body. And, and generally speaking, the more affinity you have with them, the easier it becomes. And this starts to take away the, the subjectivity, the individuality of the experience away. Great. Now, um, I have a couple of questions just in regards to your background of being a chemist, because yes. we've had the opportunity to, you know, interview a physicist. So um, how does a chemist and a physicist look at this type of work either differently or the same? And how do you use your background in chemistry when it comes to energy and consciousness? You know, uh, I, I'm not sure if we necessarily look at it differently. I, I think that one of the one of the main aspects is probably we go about it in a little bit more of a logical way, and uh, sort of like always trying to understand as much as we can because this is uh, some uh, many things actually escape us, or I would say escape me. Uh, but um, we try to understand the mechanism of how it's working and, and try sort of like to. Yeah, to get to the nitty-gritty, to the details of how, how things are working. Um, so uh, sometimes I, I am outside my body, I am seeing certain realities, and I am trying to understand, you know, maybe how they work. And I realize many times that um, I am using, you know, my, my knowledge of science to try to figure out, you know, how it understands. And sometimes my knowledge of science ends up helping, ends up... Um, you know, giving me the answer. But sometimes I also realize, look, this type of a reality seems to work very differently from our conventional science. So if I stay within my paradigm, so to speak, if I stay within the theories that I studied, you know, uh, in, in my physical life, then I'm probably going to miss the answer. And I need to sort of like adopt a more non-physical reference so as to be able to understand, you know, certain specific things. And, and honestly, certain things even then, you don't. I, I remember, just to relay a specific story, I remember this machine that um, we, we saw one time in a specific dimension that was sort of like... Um, like an accumulator of, of viral energy or chi or prana, uh, like, a, like sort of like a storage type of a, um, a, a machine. And there was a, a being there, a, a non-physical being, of course, who seemed to be sort of like the operator of the machine. And I remember we were asking him, and I say we because also another friend of mine saw this, and he, was, he actually even spent more time, and he was very insistent <laughs> with the operator because... Uh, the idea is we were trying to understand how the machine worked and how, you know, was it able to accumulate bioenergy. And this was in, a, in, a, in, a, in another dimension. So eventually the operator, the operator at first, he was saying, look, I, I cannot explain it to you. you. You guys won't understand. I cannot explain it to you. And my, my other friend, he's, a, he's an engineer. And eventually my, the, the, the operator said something that... Um, you know, or, or the reason why he couldn't explain it to us. And he said, look, I cannot explain it to you. And I, I, I remember well his words because my friend, you know, mentioned this to me. Um, he said, I cannot explain it to you because you still believe that nuclei are created or our magnetism are created by nuclei of second order. Because magnetism is created by nuclei of second order. Now, he was saying that he couldn't explain to us why the, wh how the machine worked because we still had that belief. 
you know, as we thought about that, you know, we don't have necessarily right now in science a classification of nuclei of first order and nuclei of second order or nuclei of third order for that matter. So in essence, what he was saying is probably in the future or in the future, you will have this classification and that type of a knowledge is already wrong. And because that type of a knowledge is already wrong, I cannot explain to you how this machine works. But at this moment, we are not even at the point of being wrong <laughs> yet. So uh, that was just an example, you know, that helped me to understand, you know, a lot of the things of physics and chemistry and, you know, science in general, they work, certainly they work very well here for the physical reality. But many times when we are in, uh, in OBEs, we have to go beyond them and we have to sort of like drop them. Uh, we keep the logic, mm -hmm. we keep the discernment, we keep the rationality, but the actual theories and formulas and of how the certain mechanisms work here, they don't necessarily apply outside the body. And, you know, I say this, probably I am very unconventional in this. Because uh, I see also nowadays, you know, how quantum mechanics and quantum physics is in fashion. And, uh, and rightly so. You know, it's to a, to a very great extent, you know, the, the, one of the leading edge theories that we have for trying to understand this physical world. And, and rightly so. I see how many of my colleagues, they're trying to use that theory that is the most advanced to try to bridge the gap, so to speak, between what we don't understand and what we do see here in the physical world. And uh, sometimes I start thinking, look, it, it could be that quantum mechanics is going to be the bridge that is going to close the gap for sure or is going to you know, help fill in the gap completely. But it could be that you know, 50 years from now, we're going to be talking about the new you know, uh, physical theory, the most advanced that no longer is quantum physics or quantum mechanics. And we're going to try to be using that one now to close the gap. The intention is good. I, I, I absolutely understand it. But it could also be that the next one might not be the one that fills in the gap. But maybe that two, two after that or five after that, or actually we might never arrive at that because, again, we're trying to use physical theories to try to explain non-physical realities. So I, I understand the intention, the very good intention of many of my colleagues of trying to use the best tool that they have to try to fill in the gap. I am just, after you know, so many experiences, I am just not completely convinced that that is even possible uh, or that that actually is going to work. And, and, and many times, um, you know, when we have different types of discussions uh, with them, at the end is, you know, sort of like trying to see certain similarities of how quantum physics and quantum work, quantum mechanics works to try to fill in the gap. But in essence, we don't, uh, you know, we, we are not sure that, that, those similar, that beyond similarities, there is actual, an actual correlation or an actual causality, I should say, that one thing is causing the other. We, we really don't know. And... Um, and that, you know, it's, it's a problem. So, you know, to answer the question is, I would say what has helped me the most is to try to keep my rationality, my, my discernment. Something that many times we say, you probably might have seen it also on our website, is we say, you know, we have this slogan, you know, be lucid. Certainly you want to always try to keep your awareness and your lucidity as, as, as high as possible outside the body. And then we say, question everything and everyone. 
experiment, have your own experiences, analyze them, ponder them, and that'll bring you to more awareness, question everything, more questions, more awareness, more analysis, more pondering, more conclusions, more awareness, and sort of like becomes like a virtuous cycle, so to speak. So uh, that, <laughs> that with regards to science, I wish I could give more definitive answers the way science gives here in the physical reality. But in, in my experience, I think probably many times physical science helps outside the body. Sometimes I think I see it that it starts to hinder. So... <laughs> Great. Thank you. <laughs> Coming from the science community, I'm, I'm sure you probably run into a lot of skeptics. Yes. That. Yes. Do you <laughs> want to talk about any of that at all? Or? Uh, sure, sure, okay. sure. Yes. You know, uh, because, we, we, uh, because we give classes all over, all over the world, sometimes I'm giving classes, you know, to people who are interested in the out-of-body experiences, for example, in the techniques and things like that. And those are usually the ones that I enjoy the most. <laughs> but sometimes uh, we are also giving classes to, for example, college professors or lectures. I shouldn't say classes, but lectures to college professors. And some of them are certainly interested and open to, to these ideas, but sometimes they are a little bit more, how could I say, well, to use the word that you were saying, skeptical, but sometimes also a little, some of them sometimes a little threatened, I would say, by, by the information. Um, uh, maybe some of them uh, probably see that if this information in their mind were to be real, maybe it might threaten the way they are doing their job, their work, and maybe, again, their paradigm, which is understandable, actually. It's, it's something, a, a, a worry that I understand very well, but nonetheless, you know, the, the phenomena, you know, for all the evidence that we see, certainly for all the experience that I have, that I see, is are they're as real as the physical reality. So, um, so, yes, some of them sometimes are, are, can be very skeptical. Um, I have had all kinds of uh, or, or different types of questions, you know, from physics to philosophy to uh, asking me about Occam's razors, by the way. Uh, I don't know if, if you're familiar with that, you know, the, that uh, this, this idea, obviously, that the, the simplest idea, let me see if I can simplify this, the simplest idea usually tends to be the right one. I remember this uh, um, college professor who was a philosophy of science who was asking me about that. So he was saying, could it be that there is an internal need of, of certain individuals to have these out-of-body experiences? And because of that, we create this entire story uh, instead of, you know, actually creating an objective world that exists out there that seems to me a lot more complex uh, then, you know, just a, maybe a psychological internal need of the person. And, you know, my, my, my answer to that uh, specific aspect was that uh, to a certain extent, I, I, obviously I understood his, where he was coming from, but, uh, you know, science and reality always kept on surprising us. So, you know, we thought that, uh, and, and, kept, and they keep on, sh keep on showing us how complex they, they really are. So, um, you know, when we only thought that we, uh, that atoms was the, you know, the smallest particle, that was a very, or that was a more simplified version of reality. Afterwards, of course, we discovered a lot of particles and subatomic particles beyond just simply the atoms. But we couldn't say that we discovered them because we had an internal need to discover them. It was just simply an observation of reality. So even though in general, in philosophical terms, I understand the argument, 
reality just simply keeps on surprising us and showing us how much more complex it is. Sometimes it's a lot more complex than what we imagine. So, um, and the same thing happens, you know, with the with the out of body experiences. Actually, even something that I was mentioning to him is that to me, the simplest answer was actually the fact that we survive physical death, that there is an, another aspect of, of us that goes beyond the physical body, and that there is this entire world. Uh, it seems to me a lot more complex going into philosophical or, or psychological theories of the personality uh, that don't seem to fit uh, sometimes reality, you know, the, the, the idea of the, of the internal need. So... Um, uh, that seems to me a much more complex world than the world of having out-of-body experiences and, you know, the soul existing beyond the physical body. So that, that was just simply an interesting discussion <laughs> that I had with one, with one of them. Uh, obviously, also in terms of energies, uh, I know, and, and this sometimes it might be our fault, uh, as I have referred to, you know, viral energies and chi energies many times. And then, of course, because there isn't a different word to describe these types of uh, viral energies or subtle energies that uh, many people describe when they have out-of-body experiences or even different paranormal phenomena or, or different philosophies, you know, Reiki and different things, then many times they tend to equate this type of energy to the physical energies, you know, that uh, are studied more in physics. And um, some of the behaviors of these viral energies are similar to the behaviors of the, of the energies that are studied in physics, you know, uh, heat and electricity and all of these different kinds. But um, some of them, uh, are, some of the behaviors are very different. Sometimes I, I start to think that maybe we should have a different term for them, and that would make the understanding a little bit easier. Uh, so that people don't, or in the case of scientists, they don't necessarily equate it with, you know, uh, with the energy from from physics, or, or yeah, the conventional energy that we pay for and <laughs> that we use to boot up our technology and everything. So, so those have been some some interesting conversations as well with some of my my colleagues there. And you brought up uh, particles a minute ago. Um, and I, it kind of reminds me, and the way you explained it kind of reminds me of the way uh, Tom Campbell explained it in uh, one of his YouTube videos. I don't know if you're familiar with Tom Campbell. Um, yes, actually, okay. you know, we we had a very big congress just about a month ago where we invited uh, researchers from all over the world to come and, you know, present their ideas, uh, the International Congress of Conscientiology. And oh, Tom, yes, Cam yes. Tom Campbell was, was one of them. So we had a chance to, to sit down and chat and talk. A very, very nice, very nice person. Yes, that's right. I completely forgot about that. And uh, he mentioned, in a, it's in one of his YouTube videos, probably from a year or two ago, uh, and he has a line that kind of stuck with me for a while. And it's, uh, it, it's about particles, and he says, scientists discovered particles because particles is something that scientists can believe in. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if, that, if I've explained it right, but I kind of... No, it makes sense. ...rephrase it a little bit, but, it, you know, the idea is, you know, it, it's, yeah... Uh, yeah, no, it makes sense, of course, you know, and, and maybe it's a little bit related to what I was mentioning, that the, um, 
you know, with the conventional paradigm or with the conventional understanding, with the materialistic understanding, there are certain realities that are easier to discover, you know, as we keep on heading down the track, um, like subatomic particles. So they are, they are easier to understand. They are easier. They're, first of all, they're easier to believe in, but then they're also easier to, to understand and eventually to discover because they fit the mold of the theories that we, that we already have. Um, so, for example, you know, right now there are theories on wormholes, which are at this moment just theoretical because um, even though some effects that have been observed could be attributed to wormholes, it's still a very theoretical thing. But um, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, in a few years or a few decades they were actually discovered because they are looking for those things because they already fit the mold and, uh, you know, of the paradigms that they understand. And, and that's why I was mentioning sometimes, you know, it's, it's good sort of like to try to leave those, that, those, that, that paradigm behind and try to, you know, sort of like adopt a reference from the reality that you're seeing, you know, try to sort of like understand it in a different fashion. You know, sometimes I say that um, being outside the body is truly, 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 thinking outside the box. Because before we have left the body, we are always thinking inside our brain, inside the head, you know, inside the, 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 the cranial box. So the only time that we're really thinking outside the box is when we are outside of, outside of our head, outside of the body and outside of the references that we have, you know, from our formal education. So um, I, you know, I, I see this phrase of him, you know, uh, along the same lines, of course. Um, so I, I would agree with him. <laughs> now, you guys um, offer quite a bit of uh, workshops for people. Do you want to describe maybe some of the more popular ones or the ones that you have a lot more of attendance that you do? Sure, sure. Probably the, the maybe the one that is um, attended a little bit more is what we call the CDP, the Consciousness Development Program, which is the, first of all, is the main OBE training program the main uh, program to develop the out-of-body experiences where we already go into, you know, a lot of these uh, bioenergetic exercises. Uh, we do them in class. We try to give individual feedback to the, to the students so that they're able to effectively understand them, uh, do them, and then afterwards replicate them at home on their own. Of course, the idea is for them to, to develop on their own afterwards. And then also during this, uh, during this course, you know, there are, there are several classes in which we ask them to bring an exercise mat, a sleeping bag, maybe a couple of pillows, and we lie down, all of us, to try different techniques during the workshop. And then afterwards, you know, we discuss about how it went, what was the application of it, try to do this with this technique, also trying to, to give them feedback and things. And at the end of the, of the entire program, people know maybe about, um, about 30, um, 30 out-of-body experience techniques. Now, uh, certainly... One aspect is, of course, the, 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 the disconnection from the body, you know, the, the phenomenon of living the body. And a big part of that workshop is also, of course, trying to understand the reality afterwards. Um, and, and, and that is actually an important aspect. I say that because I know many times many of the different workshops and many of the different um, classes, I guess, that are given on out-of-party experiences, or, or even many of the efforts on out-of-party experiences are just focused on disconnecting and leaving the body. And I would say that is only half the battle. 
The other half of the story is trying to remain aware outside the body and understanding the realities that are happening outside the body. So sometimes uh, even a, a substance, a chemical substance, might help us to disconnect from the body. But depending on how we left the body, sometimes the awareness outside the body will be compromised. And therefore, you know, the understanding of the, of the experience and even the entire enjoyment of the experience. Now, some of the some of the main reasons why people many times want to do it, and we go, you know, through through many of these aspects also in the in the consciousness development program in the CDP, is that you observe that you can use the out of body experiences, you know, for personal growth, personal evolution, for overcoming the fear of death because the person realizes that uh, they go beyond the physical death, for contacting, for example, this evolved. Uh, individuals, non-physical individuals, I'm going to call them evolved, positive, benign, that want to help us, uh, the spirit guides. And sometimes some of these are very interesting experiences for, for all of us, certainly for me, but also for, for the students that are, that are taking the classes. And besides that, a very practical application of this is uh, people also use their out-of-body experiences, and we talk quite a bit about this in, the, in that workshop for trying to understand what their life task, their life purpose is. We, what we observe is that individuals before being born, they uh, planned their main tasks, their main activities. And um, then in and out of party experience, we can gather information that helps us to understand what our initial intention was when we decided to come to this physical life in the first place. And, um, and certainly that is, you know, also a very a very important objective that we not only do we discuss in the classes, but many times is part uh, part of the reason why people want to, you know, uh, contact us or want to participate in them. Can you talk a little bit more about that? That last class seemed uh, pretty interesting about um, these the elders. Yeah, like the, with dealing with the elders or guides or whatever you want to call them. Um, oh, with that. sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I, 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 I thought you were asking me about the life purpose and the life task. No, but that, oh, that, that, uh, certainly. That's, yeah, that's pretty interesting too. Uh, <laughs> take your <laughs> yes. pick, whichever one you want to dive into. <laughs> yes, I, I, I actually, you know, uh, both both topics are certainly very interesting. And in, in the classes and, you know, and in different workshops and things we have, you know, we go for hours, of course, talking about different details. So, uh, but um, yes, the, the with regards to the spirit guides, or you know, obviously they have received a lot of different names. You know, angels, illuminated beings, masters, beings of light, mentors. I guess us physically, with all of our different cultures and different synonyms, we have given them all of these names uh, and all of our different philosophies. But. Um, they, they, they certainly are individuals that are more, more developed, they have more experience, they have more awareness. Sometimes I like to say that they look a little bit as if we were in third or fourth grade, and they are like our older brother who is in 10th grade. And then uh, the things that we have difficulty with at this moment or that they might seem challenging, not only in terms of our life, but in terms of, you know, relationships or different things, really, uh, for them, they are very easy. They sort of like already went through that and they already have an, a, a, a wealth of experience that goes beyond what we have at this moment. So, again, like um, almost as if the, 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 the kid that is on third grade, as if he had... Um, you know, difficulty with his math problem. And for the older brother in 10th grade, this math problem is extremely easy. 
to solve. But for, of course, for the kid that is in third grade that is going through that experience at that moment, that is, that is difficult. Now, um, these individuals, when we leave the body, outside the body, there are a lot of different kinds of dimensions. There are hundreds of them, actually thousands of them. And uh, the spirit guys, they tend to be they tend to stay to a certain extent in a, in a range of dimensions that is a little bit more subtle or more evolved. So many times when we leave the body, we can communicate with them a little bit easier. But in most of the out-of-body experiences, actually, we don't have a visual reference of them. We, we don't necessarily see them. And I know sometimes for us physically here, again, thinking inside the box and thinking with all of our physical references, vision is a very important sense for us. It's uh, maybe the most important one, you know. Uh, so when we are outside the body, the fact that sometimes we might not see them, sort of like at the beginning, throws us off a little bit because, again, we're used to the physical reality. But after a while, and even after you have seen them a couple of times because sometimes they come down to the dimension when you're at, and they densify themselves, and you have this visual input as well. Um, so as the relationship is established, you know, um, that, that aspect doesn't bother you as, as much. So in many out-of-party experiences, you are in communication with them. And of course, you can consult different things about your life, about the world, about uh, evolution. Usually these are the, the main uh, questions that people are interested in, um, about how things work, etc., etc. In uh, in another very big aspect, of course, of them is they are trying to help us to understand a lot of different types of ideas. That once we apply them, they're going to enrich our life. They're going to make our life uh, at, at the same time also sometimes easier, and we are just simply going to be more effective. But um, so that's one aspect. But another aspect, if be beyond helping us, is that they're also trying to help uh, as many people as they can. And they many times enlist our own services, let's put it this way, you know, to help them reach more people. And the reason why sometimes us, you know, people who are having out-of-body experiences, why we can become so useful is because the, the spirit guides, they have an energy that is very refined, very subtle, very... Very subtle is actually the best, probably the best term in English. And then um, what ends up happening is that sometimes as they are making different types of effects or trying to make different types of positive influences and, and effects in the physical world, their very refined and subtle energies sometimes are missed by many people here inside the body or even by other individuals who have already passed away, but they are in denser dimensions. So when there is a, a projector, somebody who is having an out-of-body experience there, we can sort of like work as, um, as an intermediary where we sort of like receive a little bit the, the subtle and very refined, lighter energies of these uh, spirit guides. And we sort of like densify it a little bit because we have dense energies and we have a, a, a physical body. And then the, the person who is being assisted, you know, is going to receive sort of like the best in information coming from the, from the helper, the best the best uh, intention, the best, um, yeah, the best information, but it's going to receive it with energies that are a little bit more dense because we are densifying the energies of the helpers and thus we can be very, very useful for that. So sometimes after a while, sometimes I like to say that we graduate to out-of-body experiences of assistance because naturally this doesn't happen or 
usually doesn't happen on the first, second, or tenth out of party experience. But after we start to get a little bit more of command and a little bit more of control of the of the OBEs, then um, yes, we realize that there is this task with which we could also help. You know, with which we could also assist uh, other individuals, and 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 also that is a very big part of the of the tasks that they are concerned with. The, the spirit guys, just helping other people at large, even if, of course, at this moment, they don't have out-of-body experiences or, you know, their different their, their level of understanding or of knowledge, you know, can, can vary, can fluctuate quite a bit. But uh, still, they are there sort of like trying to, from whichever level they are, you know, trying to promote the, the, the evolution, the development of that specific individual. And I, I was kind of going to asked that question too, but you kind of answered it, was, uh, you know, you get put to work when you become very proficient in this. The, the universe just says, oh, you know, we could use your help. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, you kind of answered that already. And a lot of people on the show have mentioned that too, that, you know, yeah. when you... Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I, I would say, you know, um, certainly what happens is that it becomes sort of like an issue of maturity in the sense that, you, you know, it's not so much that we are put to work, that we have to do it, but we want to do it. We, re we realize, look, I can help. And, uh, and, and we sort of like understand the benefits of doing that. Uh, it's almost like, you know, volunteering. And, and by this, by the way, I don't mean necessarily at, at IAC, like I was saying, we're all volunteers. But, you know, people volunteer at animal shelters, women's rights, uh, hospices, uh, a lot of different places. And, and of course, uh, some, they do it because they want to and because they see, you know, the, the, the benefits, again, that, uh, that come with that. And, and more or less the same thing happens after, you know, you develop certain proficiency in of body experiences, you start to realize that they can be used also for a for a for a greater purpose than just simply you know our own uh, our, our own needs, so to speak, and uh, and then that ends up happening. But uh, just to convey the idea, I guess that nobody necessarily is going to come and and, and tell you, look, you have to do this. <laughs> no, not necessarily. <laughs> but but it uh, but we graduate into that. <laughs> That's why I like that word. <laughs> okay, and. When you, when you're talking with these guides and you're asking for information, do you ever hit like a, a wall with them and they say no, we cannot answer that, or are you denied quest you know answers or anything? Uh, to a certain extent, yes. You know, something that I that I observe is that they tend to be very practical, so they are very you know concerned with the task at hand or with the uh, with whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish there that uh, that is going to be relevant and that is going to be um, how could I say of benefit, you know, to a specific person or to a specific group of people or to this situation, etc. So many times they don't really have a lot of time for philosophy, you know, for when we are, for example, asking huge questions like, you know, who creates the universe or things like that. And, and to a certain extent, you know, the, the impression that I get, and not just from talking to them, but also from talking to, or, or you know, from, from observations outside the body and from all kinds of different types of observations, is that what happens is that at this moment, you know, those big, Questions. Of course, we can, you know, um, speculate and, and, and elaborate, you know, a lot of different types of legends. Like, like to a certain extent, many philosophies and many religions have already done, you know, about the possible origins of uh, 
you know, of the world, of the universe, creation, and different things like that. But the impression that I get is that the answer is something that at this moment is just completely beyond us. Be- or let me, hmm, let me not put everybody in this bag. It's beyond me. <laughs> and, uh, and then there is so much understanding that I would need to have in order to grasp that, that at this moment, talking about it seems to a certain extent pointless. So um, that, that to a certain extent, in order for me to understand it, let me talk in the first person here, in order for me to understand it, I still need to evolve quite a bit so that I can get to, to that level of understanding. So it's not that the answer is hidden. It's not that there is a conspiracy theory, you know, like many times uh, certain individuals uh, like to point out. It's just simply that the, that the answer is way, way beyond me. And therefore, there really isn't a lot of, yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, point in, 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 trying to, in trying to understand it at this moment. At this moment, you know, the best I can do to a certain extent is to focus on the task at hand, to learn with the task at hand, and eventually I'm going to grow to try to understand it. So it would be almost as if, you know, going back to the analogy of the uh, kid in third grade and the older brother in 10th, 11th grade, if the older brother is doing, you know, differential calculus there as homework uh, and the kid comes and asks him, what is this? It's going to be very difficult for the, for the older brother to explain that. And the older brother usually prefers to tell him, look, let's focus on your homework. Let me help you with your homework, okay? I'm going to help you here with long division and ABCD, something that is practical that at this moment is going to help you. And the better you do your long division homework, the faster that you're going to get to understand what is it that I am doing. <laughs> but at this moment, <laughs> if I start trying to understand this fo- or to explain these formulas, there is so much <laughs> you know, that you need to know that it just... You know, it just won't make sense. It just will lead or will leave more questions than answers to a certain extent. It, it's funny you brought that up because I was actually literally a week ago having this conversation with somebody. And they're kind of on the fence about the whole idea of going out of body and everything. And they asked the questions like, well, if, you know, you're talking with these other beings, you know, that are more advanced than us uh why can't they just give us like the technology (laughs) or the the way to do like time travel or teleportation and i said well it's (laughs) it's kind (laughs) of like and i I think i said the same grades i said we're in third grade and they're in ninth grade giving us you know a math problem it's like we cannot figure it out in a third at a third grade level you have to do fourth fifth sixth and you know upward right to, to get to that point and by the time you get to ninth grade, it'd be a very easy thing to solve. But until then, we have to do the work and evolve and you know, right. get. <laughs> and so it's funny you just brought the same, <laughs> the same analogy. <laughs> yes, the same, the same memory, the same idea. And yeah. you know, a, a, another thing is they're very interested in evolution, and and also sometimes here in the physical world, we still think, and I think especially here in the in the U.S. I live here in the U.S. I'm more American than anything else. Um, meaning I've spent most of my life here in the U.S. And um, we we are very we are very practical, and we like you know the solution and the conclusion to things, and uh, and results to a certain 
certain extent. And sometimes it's a little bit harder for us to understand processes. Um, so what I mean to say with that is, you know, uh, if the kid that is on third grade, let's say my nephew who is in third grade comes and asks me for the solution to the math homework and he has, you know, in, written on paper, 10 divided by 3 and 6 divided by 2, of course I can do it in my head and immediately just tell him the answer, you know, the result. The answer is 3.33 or 3 and one third, and the other one is 3. You know, it's, it's obviously for any of us that's going to be very easy. But that will certainly give him the solution and he will get a better grade on his homework. But that is not the point. The point is not for him to have the solution. The point is for him to learn to do the vision. So the best thing that I would do is to sit down with him and explain to him again how the vision works and then try it. And of course, if he makes a mistake, it's not a big deal, but that's, but that's the point. So I, I, I say that because sometimes when I'm dealing with them, I, I realize that quite a bit, that, that, that the point is not you know, just simply give me something, give me the result, but it's actually look, you have to develop this skill. And, and, and also I, I highlight this because um, the culture that we have, the society that we have, and I, I say this, I, I speak four languages, I've given classes all over the world. I see how other cultures sometimes are not so much uh, goal-oriented or results-oriented, and then they don't have as much this influence of the results, which, which by the way, is not a negative thing. Oh, uh, uh, I'm not trying to say that being goal-oriented is a negative thing. No, not at all. But it has, in certain aspects, it has very, very definitive advantages, of course, but in other aspects, sometimes not as much. And, you know, of course, we you know, we, we struggle sometimes with that and we start to realize that also with, with time. So um, they sometimes are a little bit more like that. It's not just about X, but it's about how do you get to X. Right. Well, we're so glad we had the opportunity to have you on and to allow you to talk more about the International Academy of Consciousness. And your website is iacworld.org. And I think people should definitely check you guys out. It's wonderful that you are doing all of this work all over the world. You have tons of different offices and so much information on your website, too. So we want to thank you for being here with us today. No, my, my, my pleasure. Thank you, certainly, April, for the opportunity. And Michael, let me also say, by the way, something I forgot. We also have uh, online classes. So even to the cities where we cannot give uh, classes in person, you know, people can uh, participate in the online classes as well. And you also have uh, several YouTube videos with recorded classes. Is that right? Or is that we an do. old... Okay. Well, there are with different interviews, and also there are some lectures there. Indeed, the the, the you, our YouTube channel is called Consciousness TV, altogether Consciousness okay. TV. So yeah. certainly, also listeners can can access that uh, that information there. Yeah, I'll, I'll put all all these links in the show notes, so you know the listeners can go right right to your site. Perfect, right. excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you, Luis. Thank you. If you'd like more information about our films or to purchase our DVDs, you can head on over to our website at thepastseries.com. They're also available to purchase on amazon.com. Our films are also streaming online at vimeo.com, guyamtv.com, and iTunes. If you have a show suggestion or would like us to interview someone specifically, please feel free to shoot us an email at info at thepastseries.com or send us a tweet at thepastseries. Please rate and review us in iTunes and subscribe. We hope you enjoyed the show.